0: Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Hope you survived the storm. Boy, it rained really, really hard. At least for a while yesterday. Were you caught up in that group? You were. Yeah, yeah. It, it was my wife was actually driving back from work, so she had to pull over two or three times just to kind of let that. She left her place of employment at just the wrong time. I, I'm going to leave it. I said, why did you leave? It? I thought I could beat the storm. And instead, she kind of I drove right into it. But all's well that ends well. We start off today's show like we start off every show. Three big things. Let us get to it. I as, as I was trying to explain a week or two ago, this, this whole thing with the, the, the President Trump and the pornographic film actress, in quotation marks, um, Stephanie Clifford, or she goes by the name of Stormy Daniels. And and as, as I've said, it, there's a couple things. It's big picture. If you want to look back, and I do not know if Donald Trump is a man given to self-awareness and introspection. I, I just don't know. You know, for most people – you know, you, you've got this kind of public persona, but for most people, there's this kind of little voice when you're you're in bed at the end of the evening, right before you fall asleep, as you're replaying the events of the day or the week or the month or the year or your life. And, and, and generally, people who have the gift of self-awareness, you can go back and say, boy, I really handled that wrong or I regret this or whatever. I, I don't know if that's President Trump's makeup at all. I, I sort of doubt it. But if he had the gift of self-awareness. And you're looking back on your life, um, and my guess is there have been many, 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 many one-night stands in the history of Donald Trump. God bless him. As you look back on those, he's got to be saying, if you had a degree of self-awareness, that the, the one-night stand with the porno film actress – um, that's got to be, at this moment in time, just a, a source of regret because, again, she, as I have also said before, her and her attorney are the two greatest self-promoters since Barnum and Bailey. They have figured out a way to keep her in the news, um, to keep her appearance fee high so that when she performs at strip clubs around the country – you see, Silk Exotic, they're going to be opening up their Gentleman's Club downtown after a several-year battle. We're going to actually talk about that during the 1 o'clock hour. Oh, speaking of the 1 o'clock hour, at the start of the 1 o'clock hour, we're going to be joined by Congressman Sean Duffy. I haven't had a chance to talk to Sean in a long time, and um, we're going to have a wide-ranging discussion, so that should be interesting. But in any event, um, you know, I think you, you've got the this pornographic film actress who's – enjoying her 15 minutes of fame and she's suing Donald Trump and she wants to tell her story. I mean, OK, what else is there to tell? I mean, she's she's already, you know, irped up everything. But as we were talking about this, I, I have said all along, first of all, I, I have never believed President Trump when he says, that they didn't have this one night stand I I, I just I don't believe it I, I just don't think that makes any sense. I understand that you know nobody knows for sure except the two of them but her story makes sense now I, I have trouble with her story five years later you know somebody said don't go after Trump I, I think she's I don't believe her on that but that's just my opinion but in any event the, this the the payment of money to her in order to get her confidentiality, As I have said repeatedly, there is nothing wrong with that at all. There's nothing illegal about that. You have settlements all the time where as a condition of the payment, the the settlement remains confidential. That that happens more often than not. That is not an unusual development at, at all. The story told by President Trump's then attorney, Michael Cohen, has never made any sense to me either. It's just not the way it works. His story was, well, okay, I, I paid her and, um, I, I paid her out of my own proceeds and President Trump says, you know, he didn't know anything about it. That, that's just never made any sense. In the real world, that's not how things work. If you are a lawyer representing a person, um, yeah, I mean, you will oftentimes broker the deal. And, yeah, you'll make arrangements for the payment to be made, but the idea that you would settle a case without your client knowing about it or that you'd front the money, that's just not the way the real world works. I mean, that, that's not how attorneys operate. Attorney negotiates a deal. You go to your client. You say, okay, this is what the deal is. The client says, okay, I'll take it. You structure the deal however the deal is supposed to be structured. The client gives you or gets you whatever the settlement money is if you're the one that's paying out the settlement. And then the attorney gets it to the other side. That's how these things work. So the story that was being told by Michael Cohn never made any sense to me not saying that I think there was any sort of crime committed. And the only reason there would have been a problem with this, again, there's no problem with selling, sending, you know, hush with paying, you know, a confidentiality, a settlement of the confidentiality clause. The only reason there would be a problem is if, you know, there was money that came from, I I don't know, some illicit source, or if this was somehow tied to a campaign finance violation, which was always a stretch, But the explanation Cohen gave publicly kind of, I guess, led to this. So now they brought in, the Trump team has brought in Rudy Giuliani, the former uh, former United States attorney for the Southern District of New York. That's when I first met Giuliani back in in the 80s. And he was this sort of rising star, kind of a flamethrower who went after organized crime. He went on to then become the mayor of the city of New York, you know, cleaning up the streets of New York. I mean, did an absolutely tremendous job. If things had broken a little differently, he might have have actually been a Republican presidential nominee back in, you know, in 2008. So now Giuliani is on the Trump legal team. And as everybody is reporting, he goes on the Sean Hannity show yesterday and he essentially says, well, forget essentially, um, what he says is that um, the president, um, you know, knew about this settlement and that um, he, he knew that there was this non-disclosure agreement and that there wasn't any campaign money that was used to reimburse Cohen. It says that money from the campaign or campaign contributions played no role in this transaction. And that's kind of what Giuliani said. Now, the... Story, I guess, is that President Trump had denied knowing anything about it. So now you've got his representative, one of his attorneys, going to Hannity and saying, yeah, I mean, he he, he knew about it. Uh, Trump repaid the attorney for the confidentiality agreement, which is, of course, what I think everybody had to know in their hearts of hearts. But But the story is that when President Trump was originally asked about it a while back, he said no, and now you've got Giuliani contradicting him. All right, that's not a crime. All right. It does appear that the president was, how could I say this, less than forthcoming with regard to, you know, the source of funds. But if, in fact, this was a settlement negotiated by his attorney and if he's the one that paid his attorney the proceeds that were ultimately used for the settlement, it really is a no harm, no foul deal. Right, right, 414-799-1620. That is the Accurate mortgage talk and text line. I understand you've got the president who is denied having an affair with her, and I don't think anybody believes – and I say affair – denied a one-night stand. I, I don't think anybody believes him. I don't think that anybody really thought he was credible – when he, you know, denied knowing anything about this agreement, that just didn't make sense. That's not the way the world works. And not knowing anything about the the payment. Well, now, you know, it comes out that he, he did know about the payment. 414-799-1620. That is the acunate mortgage talk and text line. Does this put the Stormy Daniels situation to bed once and for all? No pun intended. I mean, it appears, and I think that's people wonder, what was Julie Giuliani doing? I think Rudy Giuliani is trying to end this as it comes to President Trump saying essentially, "Yeah, he knew about this, and yes, he's the one. The money ultimately came from him. It wasn't campaign money. Fine. This is not an illegal transaction. There's nothing. Im- I mean, there's nothing unethical about it." Yes, and and he denied it at first. Now, they're not going to come out and confront that directly, but does it make any difference? 414-799-1620, that is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. It seems to me at the end of the day, what we are talking about here is a man nine or ten years before he became the President of the United States who has a one-night stand while married with a pornographic film actress after a golf tournament. Nothing to be proud of. I understand why there would be a degree of denial. I am not endorsing that. I am not condoning it. But at the end of the day, is there any there there beyond this? 414-799-1620, four one four seven nine nine one six twenty that is the Accunate Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I heard the woman's attorney, Oh, this is felonious behavior and all that type of stuff. Nuts to this. It's 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 nothing of the kind. Is it time for America to move past the president, 10 years before he took office, having the one night stand with the porno film actress, four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. And my answer to this is unequivocally yes. Do I think that's going to happen? Well, no, because sex sells. But at the end of the day, what, what do we really have here? It doesn't reflect well on the president. I get that. He apparently also was not truthful under oath to reporters when he denied knowing about this. No surprise, I don't think anybody believed him at the time. Where do we go from here? If you're on the line, please hold on. It's 1219. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 1222, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. The world's largest music festival is right around the corner, and we are your one-stop shop for Summerfest information. To get a full musical lineup of the big gig, text the word SUMMERFEST to the AccuNet Mortgage Talk and Text Line 414-799-1620. Congressman Sean Duffy joins me at 108 right now. I mean, I understand that there's all these screaming headlines. Rudy Giuliani says that the president lied when he denied knowing that there was money that went to his attorney. I don't think anybody I don't think anybody believed the president in the first place. Um, Of course, of course, Michael Cohen didn't come up with the money himself to pay the the settlement agreement. All right. does, Does anybody care? Does this put the Stormy Daniels thing to bed once and for all? No pun intended. Sue in Cedarburg. Sue, you're on WTMJ. Hello.
1: Hello. I am so sick of this whole thing. I don't really care what he does. And how fast they forget John F. Kennedy, super, super jerk through his whole presidency. He was a womanizer.
0: Well, not only that, he, I mean, John F. Kennedy was while in the White House, was apparently sleeping with a woman who was sleeping with gangsters at the same time, you know, but it was a different time. The press all knew about that, but it was a different time. We don't cover that. We don't talk about it.
1: No. And so, you know what? I don't care. I am so, I don't care what he does.
0: Okay. But let let me ask you about this, Sue. it, It is apparent to me. And maybe I'm being unfair to the president, but I, but I think he lied about this. I, I think he, he lied when he denied the thing in the first place, and I think he was untruthful. I mean, and he, he apparently was clearly untruthful when he said he didn't know anything about the payment. I mean, does it matter that he didn't tell the truth about this?
1: I don't care. I am so sick of the whole thing. I don't care what he does, and and truthfully, and we have so many more things to worry about than what he's sleeping or if he's not or whatever and and we need to focus on what is good for the country and i don't care about his personal life because i can tell you john f kennedy makes him look like a saint
0: well thanks took call well I, I suspect there were you know other politicians as well who had issues keeping their pants up and and, and when they were in the white house i mean this is and this is 10 years before he was in the White House. Let's talk to Mike on the northwest side. Mike, you're on WTMJ. Hello.
2: Hey, good afternoon, Jeff. Hi, Mike. Uh,
3: I, I want to just go back to uh, what you said. I was talking about Monica Lewinsky with Bill Clinton, but let's go back 100 or 200 years ago. There's a lot of Jeffersons and Washing, Washingtons running around. Off- yeah. Rings. yeah. Uh, that's my thought. I'm, but
0: let me ask you the, the, the same question I, I just asked our first caller, Sue. Does the lying bother you if we assume and look, I I don't I don't believe the president when he denied having the one night stand. I don't believe the president when he said, you know, he didn't know anything about the payment. And and apparently Rudy Giuliani is now, at least in that aspect, is kind of confirming that the president was less than truthful. Should we care about that?
3: Uh, Probably not. He's probably going to say like any other guy would say, I know nothing about it and uh, no harm, no foul, nothing was. There's no child or nothing like that. And right. Just one night stand and, uh, okay, hey. Okay, you don't uh, care. All right, whatever nothing. happened in his life, I, I don't condone it, but I'm just
0: saying, right. you know. Uh, well, nobody, no, no, thanks to call. I mean, I I don't, you know, nobody, I don't know that anybody is, but, I mean, I guess, see, that, I, I guess that that is the issue. Um, but part of my thing, this has been, this particular matter, I think has been handled in a ham-handed fashion You know, from from the beginning. And and I I don't know that the matter could have been shut off earlier on if it had been handled differently, because, again, you've got this woman who is I mean, this is her 15 minutes of fame. I mean, she wants to show up outside every hearing. And, of course, because. She is who she is, and she does what she does. She guarantees that she generates headlines. And so now her career is revived. So like last weekend when she shows up to perform, in air quotations, at strip clubs in Dallas and in Fort Worth, you've got people waiting you know, eight hours to get in and see her take her clothes off. So, I mean, she's milking this for everything she gets. She's not a victim in this case in any way, shape, or form. I I do think the way that the – that the president and his handlers handled this from the beginning has, again, kept this story on the front burner. And maybe if they had been more candid in the first place, it wouldn't have had the legs that it has. But, I mean, should we care? And does this end it? Pam in Oak Creek. Hi, Pam. You're on WTMJ.
4: Hi. My problem is I think it should be over and done with as far as, yes, it did happen. My problem is if he lied about this, What else is he going to lie about? And how do we pick and choose what to believe? Why wouldn't he have just said right at the get-go, yes, it happened. I made a mistake. End of story. Um, Yeah. (laughs) A guy who's facing the most unpopular presidency in history, why would you do something to make that give people even more doubt? Uh
0: Yes, I, I mean, and, and see, he could have gotten, he, he could have put this behind him without even acknowledging the underlying conduct. Um, I mean, for example, I mean, this, this is the way, if he would have handled it this way, all right, there's these reports of the, this woman who says she had an affair with you. If he came out and said, look, I, I'm a public figure, I have been the target of people making all sorts of claims, and, and yes, you know, we settled this in order to preserve my good name, and I authorized the payment of one hundred thirty thousand dollars without any admission of liability. Boom. Okay, fine. She got one hundred thirty grand, and there's a confidentiality agreement, and then you move on. Um, <laughs> instead, exactly. it's ballooned into this 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 huge issue, and it does, I think, raise the question. When, you know, you have politicians that aren't being candid. And, I mean, I want to be fair, Pam, because the truth is, if this was Barack Obama and he was caught lying about something, you know, yes. I, I'd be pilloring him. I admit it. <laughs> you know, and exactly. so it's just, this isn't, to me, this is another one of these sort of, what, what's the term that they use, um, an unforced error, <laughs> you know, that right. that causes right. a problem. Yeah. No, I, at the end yeah. of the day, though, do you think this is going to hurt him, the president? Yeah. You do? Yeah.
4: I, I just think, I don't think it's going to hurt him because he had this affair because, like we've said, there probably isn't a politician around that hasn't
5: right,
0: and he wasn't a politician. He's a reality TV star right. and this big, this this you know, this jet-setting you know billionaire or multimillionaire. My my right. guess is his life is strewn with one-night stands. Exactly. That's just my guess. And
4: yeah. and just come right out from the get-go and say yes, it happened. Blah blah blah. It's done.
0: Right, nothing to see here. Thanks, car or. Or I'm not commenting on whether it happened or not, but I get these claims that are made against me, and I have settled it. It's 1229. This is Jeff Wagner. 1237. Jeff Wagner. WTMJ. Let's see. So far, let's see. Police say reckless driving in Milwaukee is out of control. No no kidding. Um, A Milwaukee alderman, Cavalier Johnson, has had enough and says some strong thoughts on what needs to happen. Alderman Johnson joins John McCure at three thirty-four on Wisconsin's Afternoon News. All right, maybe, just maybe, it would start with. Pressuring the district attorney's office when they have people who drive in a reckless and dangerous fashion to actually charge people with the crimes, not plead them down. And then I'd love to see some of these aldermen using their bully pulpits to hold some of the judges accountable when they slap people on the wrists. But I digress. All right. Big story number two. Now, uh, OK, Brewers. Brewers are coming home. They had a interesting road trip. They they sweep two games against Kansas City. They go and they lose four games against Chicago, and then they win three games in a row against Cincinnati. Five and four in a road trip's not bad. They come back. They play a five games, three games this weekend against the Pittsburgh Pirates, and then Tuesday and Wednesday. Grew, who's producing the show today and always, the Cleveland Indians come to town. The Indians matter of fact, I've got tickets for the the Tuesday night game. I'm hoping to be able to go. Got a little bit of a conflict, but I'm hoping to be able to go. So the Indians come to town on Tuesday. Now, I bring this up because there is a story that today's TMJ4 had yesterday, which I think is, I guess some people might find it thought-provoking, but I'm curious as to what you think. There are recreational, there are little leagues all over the country now, Gru, did you play Little League Baseball? You did not play Little League Baseball. All right. I played Little League Baseball. And I'm not saying it's this way in every Little League or recreational league, but frequently, like the one I played in way back in the day, um, the teams were modeled after they, they took the names of real teams. There was the Baltimore Orioles. There was a, you know, you're, you're a Baltimore Oriole, you're a Milwaukee Brewer, whatever. I mean, it, it's that's what they would do. You are a New York Yankee. The, the different little leagues would imitate and they would use the names of the real teams. Oh, the Yankees are really good. Well, that is apparently what they do down in Greendale. There is a youth baseball program down in Greendale. It's called the Greendale TwiNight um, Youth Baseball Softball Program. It, it's recreational. And, you know, it, it's based on like baseball instruction. It's staffed by volunteers who want to teach elementary and middle school kids, you know, how to play the game. All right. And so they have, they divide all the kids up into teams and they use different team names. One of the names they use is the name of that team that is coming to Miller Park on Tuesday night to play the Brewers. That would be the Cleveland Indians. So why do I tell you this story? Well, Channel 4 last night found this guy. Um, and here is the story headline. Dad pulls son from youth Greendale baseball league over Indians team name. A Greendale youth pro baseball program dad says his son won't play as part of the league until they remove the Cleveland Indians from the roster. I'm not even sure the kid is on the Indians. I, I'm not I'm not positive about that. But he, he's objecting to the fact that there is a team named after the Cleveland Indians. The guy tells the television station that it's a chance for the league to be on the right side of history. He believes the team name is not inclusive and could cause harm to the kids in the league. And here is where we go through the looking glass. This is what the guy says on TV. When you have a t- when you have a team that's named after another race of people, and you have people on the field shouting "kill the Indians" or "beat the Indians," he says that can lead to all sorts of of problems. Okay, it, it it's little league baseball. I, I'm not sure how many people in the stands are going to be screaming "kill the Indians," and I'm not sure that there's anybody in the stands that's going to. I don't know, interpret that as meaning genocide against Native Americans, but but maybe maybe that's just me. So he says he's pulling his kid out of the league. He says he plans to keep his son out of the game until things change. I don't think I'll allow my son to play in the league. Perhaps, perhaps if the league becomes more welcoming of all types of people next year, maybe he'll be allowed to play in that league. I'm going to pull my kid out. All right. To which the league responds. The Greendale Twilight is a recreational youth baseball softball program dedicated to providing solid baseball instruction with a focus on character development and teamwork. We are staffed by volunteers with a dedication to bring a fun, safe environment to our local elementary and middle school kids. The name of the major league team, the Cleveland Indians, has been used for many years with absolutely no complaints. We are sorry that a parent has taken issue with our use of this major league team and will evaluate its future use prior to the start of the 2019 season. In the meantime, we hope the action of one does not disrupt the beginning of the 2018 season for 400 excited kids. So they've been using this name for years. Not a single person has complained. There are 400 kids in the league this year This guy is whining about it, and he is pulling his kid out. 414-799-1620, that is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Should the league give in? Should they say, all right, you know, we want this kid, this guy's child back, and, and we want to be more inclusive, we want to be more welcoming, so because one person has complained, We are now going to change what we have been doing because, heaven forbid, we don't want to be seen as promoting genocide if people are chanting in the stands, kill the Indians, beat the Indians, which as somebody who goes to a lot of, well, I go to a lot of soccer games. Um, My my nephew plays like youth soccer, and my niece before that played youth soccer. I, I don't remember hearing people sitting in the stands chanting, kill, 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 when it comes to the other team, but maybe I'm going to the wrong games. 414-799-1620, that is the AccuNet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I think the league's response would be, Sir, we're really sorry if, you know, you don't want to allow your child to participate, and we're even sorrier that you've decided to try to get your five minutes of fame by using this particular issue and, and going public with it. Guy's not even a Native American. Um, at least I don't think he's a Native American. But you know what? Um, We're sorry your kid's not going to be playing. Um, His loss. Move on. Nothing to see here. 414-799-1620. All right. Should the league change? Is this a legitimate issue? Or, again, is this just political correctness trying to run amok? 414-799-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. We're back to discuss in just a moment. 1244, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ, if you're on the line, please hold on. Twelve oh, forty eight, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. All right, let me share a couple texts with you. Hope, um, hope this guy shows up at Miller Park this week with his picket signs. Um, can't believe what people will complain about nowadays. Um, Yes. Um let's see. The league should do whatever it deems is proper and this dad can explain to his son why he can't have fun playing baseball. Um another text. Probably a good thing that this parent and his child will not participate and disrupt the group of little leaguers. The parent has an opportunity to start his own little league, the way with his own rules, he should go for it if he wants. Uh let's see, another text. Deny your son from playing because the dad has an issue. Explain that to the kid, 414-799-1620. I mean, really? I mean, you've got this little league that has been operating for years and years and years. It does what a lot of does teams do. It imitates the, the real-life teams. And you've got one, one, one whiny parent who's decided, well, I'm not going to allow my son to participate because I don't want to be sitting in the stands and having people cheer, kill the Indians, because what? People are going to think that that's... That's an effort to again, like I say, call for genocide. Really, Dave and Racine, Dave, you're on WTMJ. Make sense of this for me.
3: Well, I mean, you can. Uh, it's just like what was said by the uh, creator of The Simpsons yesterday in yesterday's program that there are people who will pretend to be offended about just about anything. I yep. mean, how about the Yankees? Does that attack Southern sensibilities? I mean,
0: you know, I well, or Northern sensibilities kill the Yankees. Oh my gosh. You know, what about people who, what about people whose? you know, great, 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 great ba- grandparents fought in the civil war, you know, or are we out there saying beat those Yankees? About oh, about that's the freedom
3: from religion foundation uh, with the Padres and the angels.
0: I, well, that's Yeah, exactly. Like you're endorsing that. Th- thanks for the call or, or, or what about you know again like the the church groups and stuff if they're saying kill the saints I mean my, my goodness gracious you know or you're like you say take the baseball analogy the Padres I admit this is the type of stuff which drives me absolutely nuts and I, I do I, I share some of the blame in this because I am talking about it the the first question would be why is this news you know again you've got this isn't an organized movement. It's one whiner who's kind of off in his own little world about this, and he's pulled his kid, and it's the kid that loses out because the kid. Okay, so now the kid doesn't get to play baseball with all his friends. All right, you know, good. Dad has made that statement, and again, I think what happens too often is the these whether it's a church group or a community group or a team or a league or an organization. I think sometimes there is a tendency to overreact to that one squeaky wheel and I think it is fair to say all right well well, why is this a news story and then it's also fair to say well, Jeff if it is a non news story why are you talking about it now I talk about it solely from the perspective again of these examples of political correctness run amok I think right now the Greendale Little League or this organization is doing exactly the right thing by saying okay um th- this has not been an issue in the past we don't consider it to be a real issue now we'll take a look at the end of the year and see but you know we're not going to bend over backwards and if this guy decides that he doesn't want to let his kids play ball here it's unfortunate for the child but you know that's what you get maybe they can find some other league that, to play in let's talk to greg in greenfield Greg, you're on wtmj hello
3: hi jeff you know what this I don't think we should call it political correctness anymore. We need to call it political negativity because let's say I'm an American Indian or a Native American. And my kid, I'd be honored that my kid would go play for the Cleveland Indians because I love it that they named the team after me. As a matter of fact, (laughs) the the baseball hat that I still wear, that I still love, is the Milwaukee Braves.
0: Right. Right. I mean, again, a classic example. Let us say... That this was, that this league wanted to go with retro stuff. So we're going to have the Milwaukee Braves. Would he take the same position? I would assume he would almost have to because, you know, you could have people chanting, kill the Braves, kill the Braves. You know, I, again, at at some point in time, can't we just realize, especially in this context, that it's just, it's just the logo. It's just the team name, nothing more, nothing less. Why get so worked up about it?
2: Exactly, and
3: uh, what I get tired of is that we keep uh, we keep naming all this stuff political correctness. There's nothing to do with what's correct. It's (laughs) all about being negative about something.
0: Right, right. and the yeah again, I mean, thanks for calling. And I always say it's the politically correct and it's the perpetually offended. And maybe you're right. This this is playing into the perpetually offended. Now I understand sometimes public opinion on this issue. You you need public opinion leaders. This is the one guy. The one guy in all the years this has been operating who has decided to, um, you know, see this as an issue. Some people might view him as a trailblazer. I, I would just say this: the 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 person that gets too far ahead of the crowd is just the crazy nut wandering around talking to himself in the desert. And that might be at least on this particular issue where this is. I think the Greendale Little League deserves a lot of credit for not. Caving in. 1253, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Give me strength. 1256, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Sean Duffy, congressman from the western part of the state, is one of the rising stars in the Republican Party, both in the state and nationally. He's going to join me in about 12 minutes. We're going to talk about a number of things. Sean is always welcome on the program um, one final text. My high school was once known as the Southwest Indians. One guy complained to the Minneapolis school, uh, board, and now my alma mater school history and legacy is absolutely gone all because of one guy. Yeah, that's it. Sometimes I understand they always say the squeaky wheel gets the grease. I've never understood that. Sometimes. I think you should just let the squeaky wheel squeak and eventually it it falls off, and the car moves on. That's kind of how it works. All right. I had a freaky story last night. I haven't shared this with you group. This is like all right so i'm I'm in my in the new house I'm living in, and I'm trying to I'm still like learning the sounds that things make you know like. Um, I don't know how to fix things, but I can tell when stuff is going wrong. Oh, that furnace doesn't sound right. This, I, so I'm still getting used to these noises. So last night, my wife works evening, so she comes home. We sit there. We we're we were watching a movie and just talking about the events of the day. And she's having a glass of wine. I'm having a glass of bourbon. Got the dog on my lap. It's this great, sort of family, sort of thing. And then I had to get up real early this morning because I had to take my car in for an oil change. So it's like eleven thirty. It's okay. Time time to go to bed. So take the dog out for her little walk. I come back inside, and I hear this noise coming from the kitchen, this loud noise. So Eric Bill said, this is my evening last night. This is like 1145. So I hear this loud noise coming from the kitchen that I, I don't recognize. I mean, what is, This doesn't sound like it's the ice maker. So I go into the kitchen, and all the lights in the house have turned off. My wife is now going to bed. The microwave oven is running. The microwave oven is running. By itself. By itself. And it's running. And it's like on this three minute timer thing. And I'm, I'm standing there and I, I try to push the button to hit to stop it and it won't work it, it just it keeps running skynet it, well exactly and, and so i'm like fran did, you know so she's like looking i said did you did you do something there's nothing in there it's just like running and i said it, did, you know and she's like she looks at me and says well well when's the last time you used it and i said who are you talking to i mean i, I don't know if i've ever used this you know I mean, no, no i'm not the one that in the middle of the night decided to like start the microwave mm-hmm. and, it, and, and it won't shut off and so finally you know i I close the door and open the door, and it gives me this error message. It's it's one of these, like, like a keypad, and it's a built-in microwave. It says, yeah. like, F2. It's like the haunted microwave. <laughs> so I go, and this is, like, midnight, you know, and I'm on the computer, you know, KitchenAid, built-in, microwave, error message, F2, and it essentially says that message means the control panel is screwed up. You know, there's something that, like, needs to be replaced. But it's turning itself on, Now, this is a built-in thing. And I'm going, okay, I I don't think it's a good idea that a microwave is just running by itself. So I'm I'm sitting there thinking, what do I do? Because, like I say, it's built in. Well, it does occur to me, maybe it's on its own circuit. So I go down the basement, and sure enough... You know, I, I flip the breaker and I turn it off. But my microwave has a life of its own. It's like midnight, and the damn thing is on. And I'm, and I'm like, what is, how does this happen?
3: It's, it'd be really creepy if you found food inside. <laughs>
0: Thanks a lot. Yeah, no, no, it was, it was just, it was on, but it wouldn't shut off. And I, I got it, and then it would stop. I'd open the door, it would stop, and it would come back on again. It's got a life of its own. So I. Um, but the best line was Mike, Well, what, when when did you use it last? Who are you talking to? I mean, me, me use it last? Come on! All right, it's one o'clock. This is Jeff Wagner. It's one o nine. This is Jeff Wagner. So Eric, I, I have a number of listeners are weighing in on on the, the microwave and start uh, yeah, up by itself, and, and I guess yeah. there's two ways you could go. Either the house is haunted. I don't think that's the case. Demonic. Yeah, Ac- yeah, I, no, <laughs> taking over the microwave. No, I don't think it. I, actually, a couple of listeners make the point. We had those big storms yesterday. And a couple said, it, it's probably like a lightning strike oh, that yeah. you, you know, a lot of lightning in the area. Maybe there, it caused a power surge, which messed up the control board on, <laughs> on the microwave. Um, said, but it actually, and then another one goes and says, yeah, because apparently I didn't know that. for The code says that if you've got a built-in appliance, it has to be on a separate circuit for exactly for what happened reason. last night. Okay. In case there's an emergency where you can shut off the power. So I see I have I have learned I have learned something and I I, it could be demonic possession of the microwave, (laughs) but actually there was all that storm stuff out, but it is it is freaky that all of a sudden the microwave goes on by itself. You know what you should do tonight?
3: Put some microwave popcorn in there and see see if it'll pop it up for
0: you. um, No, I have shut off the power to this (laughs) and I've entrusted my lovely wife with the mission of. Can you please figure out a way to get this fixed? You know what? Let's, because God knows when I might need to use the microwave. Well, I'd pull the power on that oven too. You never know when well, that thing. might Oh, that's it. Or your stove. All right. Who knows? B- before the break. I, I actually did our next guest a little bit of a disservice because I described Sean Duffy as a rising star in the Republican Party in both the national levels and in the state level. That's actually a disservice because Sean Duffy is a star. Forget rising star; he is a star in the Republican Party. Sean has a very interesting background. Um, he's from Hayward. He he rep he was the district attorney for Ashland County. He has been the congressman representing the seventh district um congressional district since 2011 um that is geographically just a huge area i think northwestern wisconsin 21 counties fully five counties partially a leading light in washington we're now joined by congressman sean duffy uh congressman good afternoon
3: good afternoon it's great to be with you guys and actually we're all are part of 26 counties oh and about a third and about a third of the state in land mass it's uh from central, central Wisconsin, Wausau, all the way up to most of the UP border of Michigan to Superior, all the way over to Hudson. So we're big.
0: A lot of pancake breakfasts to go to when you're back in town, huh?
3: Dairy breakfasts are uh, they're plentiful. There's a lot of them there, and I try to hit most of them. <laughs> so it's a lot of fun. I, I think I put on about eight pounds. <laughs> month
0: that's it. Yeah, June is Dairy Month. Sean, I, I don't want to bury the lead. I mean it, – it, Today, national news, everybody's talking about Rudy Giuliani and the Stormy Daniels and things like that. But, but there is some really good economic news that's come out today that nobody is talking about at all.
3: And, and, and can I just maybe take a, a step back? I think a, a lot of uh, media will lean left. And so uh, if they don't talk about Russia or Stormy Daniels or Jim Comey, they would have to talk about the great economic news. Uh, that we have going on in America, that we have uh, unemployment uh, rate at near historic lows in Wisconsin, 2.9 percent, that African-American and Trump says this all the time, but African-American and Hispanic and women unemployment is um, incredibly low. The economy is roaring. And what's really remarkable about that is since the Great Depression, you know, we have we have times of expansion and growth and sometimes we have periods of recession. The longest period of growth we've ever had since the Great Depression has been eight years. And we're moving past that eight years of growth um, and looking at breaking new records. The runway is long for this economy to continue to grow. And what that means is, you know, our families uh, are offered uh, better salaries or if they don't like their job, they can go out and uh, look for a new job that might pay them more or offer them more benefits. Um, it's, it's really great when you're looking at making ends meet having an economy that's expanding and employers looking for employees, uh, oftentimes you get to drive a little bit of a harder bargain, which means your family's better off. I mean, so this is awesome stuff. And even on the foreign policies, the means by which maybe the president gets there is somewhat, uh, can, can make people uneasy, like Little Rocket Man, talking about North Korea, Kim Jong-un, and my button is bigger than yours, and my button works, and Fire and Fury. But the fact that the North Koreans and the South Koreans are actually meeting and talking and we're going to have a conversation about denuclearizing North Korea is absolutely earth shattering uh, for Donald Trump's success. So things are actually going well and people are feeling it. And uh, it's a really good time to be an American.
0: Let, let's let's. I want to talk about North Korea for a minute, but let's stick with the economy. I mean, the, the numbers coming out today—the number of jobless claims. These are people applying for unemployment benefits. It's it's hit the lowest level since 1969 you've got to go back to the nixon era the first term of president nixon to get unemployment claims that are at this level and the workforce was about half of what it is now that that's that is staggering when you look at how we are putting wisconsin and putting america back to work
3: it, 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 it really is and it's just a testament to the fact that the american economy is uh, really resilient and really strong especially when uh, we, we streamline our regulation and we let people keep a little bit more of their money through our tax reform because people spend their money better than the government spends their money. Um, and that's not saying we don't want any taxes, but when you, we, we can let you keep a little bit more of it, you're going to make better choices, better investments, which in the end will offer better productivity and better jobs for the American people. It's, it's really great stuff and very simple stuff of limited government that works for economic growth.
0: Sean, so do you think... As you look back on the last term, would you agree with me that the the, the tax reform package is is probably the the signature achievement of at least the last two years?
3: I think this is the signature achievement of the last 30 years. Mm -hmm. Um, What's happened is, you know, we we were the biggest economy, um, and the world was a different place. You could have higher rates because tax rates in the rest of the industrialized world were also really high. But the rest of the world, they've all lowered their tax rate and America was the highest tax, um, uh, country in the industrialized world. And now with this tax reform, uh, we're bringing us down to about the middle range of, of the, the main countries that we compete with. And we're, you know, if in in the old system, if you're paying, you know, 35% in taxes and your competitor is paying 18% in taxes, um, it's really hard to stay in business very long. You're going to lose out because they have more money in their pockets to to invest in research and development and and to innovate and to and to hire new talent. But this reform, I think, is going to be absolutely um, historic. Not just what we've seen so far in the in the first you know five months of the reform, but I think in the next you know decades we're going to see that this is the biggest economic mover, the best thing for America. Uh, that we have seen in a long time.
0: Do you think people in in your district and in Wisconsin in general are getting that message? I mean, the, the estimates are for the average Wisconsin family. Um, and again, I, I appreciate some people might pay more, some people might pay less, but the the effect is going to be about two thousand five hundred dollars more that that average Wisconsin family gets to keep. Are, do, do people realize that that's going on, or does the message, do people need to get a, do a better job of getting that message out?
3: Well, I think that I, we do the best we can to get the message out, and people look at their paychecks, um, and they do see more money in their paychecks. But it's hard when the national media promotes one story, um, and again, it's what we talked about at the top of the segment, which is Russia or Comey or Stormy Daniels. They refuse to talk about the good things that are happening in the economy. So the news that they watch doesn't enforce what they see in their paycheck. But I do think people see that that's a uh, uh, it's been a net benefit for them. And we've seen a lot of a lot of businesses that have offered uh, uh, a bonus. We've seen others that have said, "Well, we're going to contribute more money to your four hundred one k." We've seen a lot of benefits come from reform. People sharing. Uh, the benefits with their employees, which is a, a really good thing. But I think it's hard when the news media talks about everything but that. Mm-hmm. It's hard to drive that message. I would tell you that I think if this if this economy was Barack Obama's, every nightly news program, every night would be talking about how historic and how great and how smart Barack Obama was. But with Donald Trump, they just refuse to do that because they just have a, a passionate, I think, dislike for him. And he's in a, a, a constant battle with them.
0: Let me, Sean, let me, let me, let's flip back to what we were talking about briefly, the, the whole North Korea situation. Um, do you, and again, we, who knows where this ultimately goes, but, but assuming right. that we're, we're able to get meaningful negotiations and maybe North Korea even to, you know, give up its, it, its nuclear program, uh, does that happen without Donald Trump being president?
3: Absolutely not. Because what, what's happened is you've had the same advisors. Um, the same intelligentsia offering the same advice to both Republican and Democrat administrations. And that's why the policies really haven't changed um, from one administration to the next until Donald Trump came along and was going to shake this up. And the common the common belief was there was only two solutions out of the North Korean um, crisis. One, you um, concede the point that North Korea is going to have nuclear weapons and they're going to have missiles to deliver those. Weapons to anywhere in the world, which is a really frightening thought, especially with the Kim regime. The next solution would be that you have um, a military action that takes out their nuclear weapons, but they have they have a ton of conventional weapons that they would be able to launch, and hundreds of thousands of people would die in the uh, in South Korea and maybe even over to Japan. They would launch those missiles. That so we now have, and again, I, I, I the, the Kim regime. They're liars and they're cheaters. So I don't, I'm not, I, I'm not quite, uh, right. <laughs> in my breath that we're going to have a positive result, but it's looking positive. But the, that we have them come into the table without precondition, talking about denuclearizing. They want commitments that they're not going to be attacked. Um, and, you know, I think we're at a place where, and again, Donald Trump is saying, I, listen, we're, if you want to try to play me, if you don't want to truly negotiate, I'll walk away. I'm not going to cut a deal like President Obama did with, with, uh, Iran, where, you give everything to you negotiate in power. if you uh, a partner up front, like President Obama did. He gave the uh, the Iranians, you know, billions of dollars in cash and in gold, for the promise that they will meet the commitments of uh, of of the deal. Here, there's there, there, there's no promises made. It's that you know we sit down we negotiate. They're willing to give up their their weapons, but we're also willing to you know offer them support and and and, and lighten sanctions. I think we're in a great place to cut a deal that could bring more peace to the world and especially to the Korean Peninsula. And this would not have happened. But for Donald Trump trying to rethink the way he engages and negotiates and uses different kind of leverage points to uh, cut a better deal for the world and, and for the American people.
0: We're talking to Congressman Sean Duffy. Sean, I, I know you've got to run. Let me let me just wrap this up. The. The, the state of politics in the state. I know the Republican convention is in Milwaukee next week. I know that you're going to be here. As you look at the political landscape in Wisconsin this year, a, a challenge, some candidates are going to emerge to challenge Tammy Baldwin, Governor Walker running for re-election, the Republican congressional delegation running for re-election. Are there headwinds? How do you feel going into this campaign?
3: So if I was honest, I'd say you got to look at special elections that have happened across the country. and. You'd have to assume from those special elections there are headwinds, and the first time you have a off presidential cycle, the party of the president usually loses um, seats and loses races. Um, but I would say this: if you look at our state, uh, I believe the number is fifty-two percent of our voters come from rural parts of Wisconsin. That's maybe news to you know Milwaukee and Madison, where we all think that that's Wisconsin, but we have more voters in rural America, and rural voters have been a little more swingy, if you will. They can go left and they can go right. They can go Democrat. They can go Republican. Uh, These voters, uh, I believe, have seen the benefits of the economy. And I think with the right messages that have come from Governor Walker, um, who has done a great job for the people up north and in the rural parts, and from President Trump, we're well positioned uh, to to piggyback on some of those messages and I think do really well in this election cycle. So I'm actually bullish. Uh, on what's happening uh, in this coming election cycle, which is contrary to what the news media is trying to drive uh, to to their viewers or their listeners. Just on Tuesday night, um, there was a special election, two special elections in, in Florida, and Republicans did better in those special elections on Tuesday than, than uh, they did in 2016 in the presidential election. So I do think some things are changing. and if, But I would say that if President Trump is able to deal with North Korea, if he's able to deal with uh, the, the the tariff conversation with China on aluminum and steel, to be able to cut a better deal with NAFTA, which is a big deal for Wisconsin, I think the the future is bright for the Republican Party and our success is coming this November.
0: Congressman Sean Duffy, thanks so much for being with me this afternoon. Hopefully, we get a chance to talk soon. I'd like it.
3: Absolutely, thank you for having me on. Have
0: a great afternoon. Uh, take care. That's uh, like I say, I, I, to call him a rising star is uh, to do a disservice to him. He is a star in the Republican Party, both in Wisconsin and nationally. Sean Duffy. It's one twenty-four. This is Jeff Wagner. It's one twenty-seven. Jeff Wagner. WTMJ. Yeah, Sean Duffy. Um, you know, people also might remember him. I, it's never does him. <laughs> he he started out. He was on the Real World. You know, he was on the Real World back in the day and. uh His, his wife, you know, Rachel was on the real world as well. She did like, I think it was season three. He was, he was the Boston season back in the time. Now, Grew, real world's not on anymore. They don't do that anymore, right? They stopped it, but they did it for a long, long time. But back in the beginning, it was kind of revolutionary. And he was, uh, he was the, the lumberjack from Hayward, you know, on the fourth season. And, uh, always interesting. He's a really, really good guy. All right. Here's the least surprising story of the day. CBS has apparently been conducting this investigation. And you know one of the things when when you saw, for example, Matt Lauer, you know, flame go down in flames over allegations of sexual harassment, and and Charlie Rose, the same thing. You know, one of the things that that I always used to say about this is you you had all these higher ups at NBC or at CBS or whatever who were saying we're shocked, we're shocked to learn this was going on, and and that that's just BS. I mean, let let's call it like it is. I mean, what you had is these were very very powerful people. Um, who are making a lot of money and who, you know, were the, the public face of a, a lot of what was going on. And let's face it, executives look the other way. That was the thing that was irritating, most irritating to me was these denials after this all, this stuff all comes out. These people pretending that, well, we didn't know that Matt Lauer was a dog. We didn't know that Charlie Rose was doing all this stuff. Of course they knew, and of course they had to know. Um, new report, CBS, apparently, um, they commissioned this, um, internal probe, incidents of sexual misconduct by Charlie Rose were far more numerous than previously known, according to a new investigation by the Washington Post, which also found three occasions over a period of 30 years in which CBS managers were warned of his conduct towards women at the network an additional twenty seven women said Rose sexually harassed them. Concerns about Rose's behavior were flagged to managers at the network as early as 1986 and as recently as April of 2017 when Rose was the co-anchor of CBS this morning um th- this is the point I- again, it was this this oh, you know we were shocked, we were stunned now this was all institutional. And NBC, I think, knew about Lauer. CBS, I think, clearly knew about Rose. They chose to do nothing. Now, does that change the dynamics of where we are now? I don't know. But when these executives protest, oh, no, no, we had no idea. Well, okay, what was it that Lyndon Johnson used to say? You know, don't pee down my back and tell me it's raining. Well, that's precisely what these executives at NBC and CBS were trying to do. It's 129. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 137, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. You're welcome for that earworm, you know. <laughs> now it's a, all day. I'm, we're, everybody's going to be humming, we wear short shorts. Foxcom is interested in self-driving trucks. What is it actually like to be in a self-driving vehicle? John and Melissa get the scoop from someone who's experienced it at 420. Tune in this afternoon for Wisconsin's Afternoon News. Okay. So why do we do the short, short bumper music getting us back into the program? Well, here is the controversy. Today's TMJ4 had this story. Let me share it with you. A student at Elkhorn Area Middle School is calling on administrators to change their dress code policy. Um, this gal says she and several of her friends were pulled out of class yesterday because a teacher deemed that their shorts... Were too short. Um, apparently, the, they called that the student handbook has a portion on a dress code, and it says that a student's clothes should not be a distraction or a disturbance. The dress code reads clothing, such as skirts and shorts, must be of an appropriate length and extend to the fingertips or longer when the arms are placed at the side. So in other words, you stand up straight, you drop your hands to the side, and your your dress or your shorts are, are not supposed to be above wherever that hits. Okay, so that's what the rule says. Um the mom of this girl says if you have short arms, you get to wear shorter shorts than people who have long arms. Um so apparently a number of these young ladies, this is middle school, they come to school, they're they're Shorts are too short in that they do not comply with this. And here's where the story gets interesting. So all the, these girls show up. Teacher says, look, that this isn't going to work. They call the parents, and the parents have the choice of either bringing clothes that are compliant with the dress code, or I, I guess the kids end up going home. In this case, this mother decided um, that, that she was not going to go to school. She was not going to change her clothes. She was, in fact, going to go home. And here's where it gets really interesting to me. Again, this is on TV the other night. The the mom admits that her daughter's shorts were too short. She admits they were not compliant with the policy. But she thinks the dress code is outdated and needs to be changed. And here's what she says. She says, I'm the parent, and I think I'm the one who should be making the choice of what she wears, not the school i'm the parent and i think i'm the one who should be making the choice of what she wears not the school all right 4147991620 that is the acenet mortgage talk and text line all right so here you have the school that has the, this dress code with regard to how short the clothing can be now reasonable people you know might disagree with is this the fairest and i guess it is true if you've got um, you know, longer arms, that means that, you know, you're um, going to have to perhaps, you know, you, the type of clothing you can wear might not be as short. It all kind of depends on where your, your arms are going to fall. But but that's the rule. And it's a subjective rule. And the school is concerned with, you know, hey, we don't want kids, you know, we, we don't want kids showing up with these shorts that are up to their butt. All right. that That's it. Now, look, I'm a child of the 70s. I understand, you know, the mini skirts and things like that. I mean, so I, I get, you know, short clothing and things like that. The school, though, says, okay, this is what our dress code is. This mom is saying, well, I don't agree with this. I, I don't think there's anything wrong with this. I think it's outdated. But most importantly, I'm the parent and I'm the one who should decide what is appropriate, not what the, not the school. Our number, 414-799-1620. Do you agree with this mother? That, that it should be her call, not the school's. And my response would be, what, what planet does this lady live on? I, I mean, I, I, you know, you can argue about particular aspects of a dress code. Oh, okay, that's fine. But, I mean, do the inmates really get to run the asylum? And by that I mean, you know, does the school really have no right? If a parent deems it appropriate, I, I mean, I, I don't know. If a parent deems it appropriate for the kid to come to school wearing, you know, essentially a, a see-through blouse with nothing on underneath, and she thinks that's great. Does the school have a right to do that? And, and let's, I mean, like, take it with the situation with the boys. If the school has a dress code that essentially says your pants can't be down around your hips with, you know, inches and inches of your underwear showing and mom and dad think there's nothing wrong with that, I mean, does the school not have a right to say, no, this is inappropriate for school? 414- 799-1620, that's the at Mortgage Talk and Text Line, who gets to decide these things? We discuss next. If you're on the line, please hold on. It's 142. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 146, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. If you're just tuning in, the, the, the other day, this happens at a middle school down in Elkhorn. They've got a dress code. The dress code says that for girls, presumably boys too, but this is with a bunch of girls, that you stand up straight, you put your arms down to your side, and your skirt or your shorts have to at least go that far. All right, so it's their way of stopping people from showing up with really, really short skirts or short shorts. A bunch of girls show up, and they're they're wearing they're wearing shorts which are too short. All right. Obviously what the school is trying to do is they're trying to enforce certain rules and they don't want people coming with skirts or shorts up to their crotch. That's what they're trying to do. So they, they identify a bunch of girls who are wearing shorts shorts that are too short. The teacher calls the parents. And the parents are told, hey, you gotta bring something else for the kid to wear, or they're gonna have to go home. One of the kids, with the blessing of her mother, goes home. And the mom goes on TV and says that she disagrees with this dress code, but she says, I'm the parent. I think I'm the one who should be making the choice of what she wears. Not the school. All right? 414-799-1620. I don't know about you. I, I think that that's, I think that that's crazy. The parent gets to make the decision as to what the kid wears. On their own time, you know, once the kid is out of school, if mom, if mom wants the kid to go out in public, you know, with the shorts that are up to her crotch. I mean, that, that OK. That's a decision that mom gets to make in conjunction with the daughter. But when you're at school, don't schools have the right to have certain dress codes? And again, I'm, I'm not commenting on this particular one and whether it's all that fair or not. But I mean, this strikes me as being a reasonable sort of dress code. Let us start with, let's see, Meg in Cedarburg. Hi Meg, you're on WTMJ.
4: Hi, um, I just had a comment that um, I really think the school should have enforced their own rules. Um, it's when the kids dress like, like I can tell what they're dressing like, nobody can concentrate and it gets crazy and the kids are there to learn. And I was just saying that I, we sent our daughter to a private school that did have um, uh, uniforms, uh-huh. and it's, it's all about, school is for learning. It's not for, you know, showing off their latest clothes, and I do have a daughter, and I do see the short shorts out there, and I just find it appalling. <laughs>
0: <It's>, <laughs> <laughs> it, 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 you know, I, I've I've told this story before. I, I've told this story before, Meg. When um, my niece, who's now 19, she's in college. But I, when she was like either a freshman or a sophomore in high school, or may, maybe it was even before that. Maybe it was like eighth grade or something. You know, we we went with my brother and sister-in-law, and Sydney brought a bunch of her friends, and you know, we we went to this movie, and then everybody went out to dinner afterwards. And there were a couple of of these young ladies, and I mean, I I know. I mean, you're talking about girls that are you know, twelve or thirteen or four years old or whatever, and and they're we're, you know, they're they're tall, lots of legs. They're wearing these, yes. you know, shorts that are literally up to their butts. And I I knew I know my late wife. She was looking at this. she's just afterwards we're driving home, and she said, "Did you see that?" And I'm like, "See what, honey?" But I know exactly what she was talking yeah. about. She, she's like, "I can't yeah. believe that parents let some of these kids go out dressed like that."
4: Yeah. Right, and we wouldn't. We right. wouldn't. And nope. it's, just, it's 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 hard because well, you well,
0: know right. you want to stop with the fashion. Well, it is. Now, thanks for the call. But the, I mean, again, the bottom line to me is right or wrong. I mean, I think th- this seems like. I mean the school is wrestling with this particular issue, and, and this is the way they 've come out about it it 's objective all right you stand up, you drop your hands wherever they fall we don 't want it shorter than that okay and so I understand there 's different body types, and maybe there 's a better way to you know police this and all, but that 's what their rule is. everybody knows the rule. The, the parents in this case, and this parent yeah, agreed, yeah, they, they, it's they, they, my my daughter's shorts were too short under this rule, but I don't think the school should be telling me, the parent, what I think is appropriate. Well, when she's going to school, sure I think it is. Dufresne in Milwaukee, you're in WTMJ. Hello. Hi, how are you? Very well, thank you, sir. What do you think?
3: I think the mother is on a power trip, self-centered. Um, she's going off of what she wants. She feels, but the truth is, you cannot let your daughter go to school like that. The rules are the rules. So she's going off the power trip of uh, yeah. saying, Well, it's my daughter, and I get to say what I want for that one. Not for that case, you don't.
0: Well, well right. I mean, it's kind of like, like a workplace. I mean, if a workplace has okay let's say let's say the girl when she's 16 years old you know gets a job at, at a restaurant or something like that you know working busing tables or a hostess or whatever and, and the restaurant has it, its own dress code okay this is this is how you you know we don't want you showing up in tennis shoes and no sweatpants or whatever you know what, what is the mother going to do you know call up the general manager of the restaurant and say well i think she looks just perfectly fine in dress in in, in sweatpants or you know tennis shoes you know I, I i think she looks fine who are you to tell or there's a dress code. Well, I mean, get over it. You know, that's why we have rules.
3: <laughs> exactly. I mean, especially these rules. At 2018, there's enough enough going on right now. We need to we need to cover up a little bit in school.
0: <laughs> well, I mean, thanks. I mean, again, yeah. I I, and I don't. I mean, I, I don't even want to. To me, the debate isn't is is this. <sighs> do you need to do something like this? I mean, candidly, at a middle school level, I don't think that there's anything wrong with having a dress code that says we don't want you to have shorts that come up to your crotch, and, you know, again, I could give you examples for boys as well. The the, the thing that always drives me nuts is where the kids have their pants around their, um essentially around their thighs, and you can see, like, all this underwear and things like that, but, I mean, whatever the dress code is going to be, I don't think that it's an unreasonable sort of thing, and you can argue, and then you know, maybe you have a different plan on on this, but I mean these these are what the rules are, and you as, as the parent. Just because you disagree with it, or you you know you think you have a better idea of what is appropriate, well, oh okay, that's fine. You can control what she wears on Saturday and Sundays. Peg in uh, in Milwaukee, Peg, you're on WTMJ. Hello,
5: hey Jeff, how are you? Good, good. You know, there's so many things I have to say about this but I know you have other topics to talk about. Um, I think first and foremost, um, most prom pictures, a lot of times, you can see where you just have to ask yourself, where was the parent (laughs) involved in choosing that dress? But besides that, I think the whole point here is when there are rules that are set up, whether it's at school or it's in the office or the workplace or wherever, there's always going to be, a certain set of rules and guidelines that you have to adhere to mm-hmm. as a child, as an adult. And if kids can't learn early on in middle school, even into high school, that there are certain rules that we all have to abide by, whether okay. you like it or not, this is what it is. And, and, and they can't learn that Then it's going to be real difficult when they get to college and they get a job or when they get into the real world yeah. and they feel as though it's appropriate to show up with a really, really short to and a plunging neckline.
0: It's gonna be really tough. Right. No, well that. exactly. We're going back to my example just a minute ago. You you, you yeah, get a yeah. job you know, get a job as a as a hostess or something, you know, at, at a restaurant and they say and you show up in sweatpants and tennis shoes, and the boss says, No, that's not the look we're trying to convey here. Well, I think it's just fine. Right. Okay, well 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 great, then go go wear it somewhere else. Yeah, and, and I guess it's the sense of entitlement that you get from the mother that she's the one that gets to make the decisions. No, you you, you don't. No. At home you get to make the decisions decision at school or at work somebody else gets to make the decision
5: well and you know what the other thing that i think is even the the bigger message is similar to the subject i think you i know you talked about i know your colleagues did yesterday about the situation that's going on from a legal standpoint out at arrowhead right where you have these parents and i don't know these parents so that's probably unfair to judge but just from the stories on surface you know, when you've got these parents that quickly come to the rescue of their kids that don't want to follow guidelines and rules, you're really, really, really setting your kid up for a disaster in the future. I mean, that's just one woman's opinion, but well, I, well, my kid's not perfect, but it's right. just, I think, you know what I mean? When You're, no, you're, you're not going to
0: be running to face face. federal, every time somebody disciplines your child um, yeah. and your child might be even partially in the wrong, you're not going to be running to federal court and filing a lawsuit.
5: No, not for
0: my kid. No way. <laughs> They're <on> their, no <laughs> no way. No, they, no they, thanks for calling, pay And, and, and again, I, I appreciate that. I just, I, I do, I, I think there's sometimes there is this sense of entitlement that's out there. And look, and I, believe me, I'm the last to argue that schools are perfect or anything like that. And, and And sometimes I'll be the first to tell you that I think dress, in my opinion, dress codes sometimes are overly restrictive or... They, they don't necessarily cover all sorts of circumstances, but that's one where if you don't like it, maybe you run for school board and, and that's your issue and you get on the school board and then you lead the charge to revamp the, the rules, not saying, well, I, even though the rules, um, I know the kid is violating them, I, am the one that should get to make that decision. No, I don't think the railroad runs that way. It's 156. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Hey, coming up in the next hour of the program, we got a lot of stuff. Um, they call it lunch shaming. I I have a different take than a lot of people do. A new strip joint opens in downtown Milwaukee. Are some people busting their buttons? And, and what do we do with the legacy of Bill Cosby? That and a lot of other stuff. Stick around. It's 156. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. It's 208. This is Jeff Wagner. So very glad to have you with us. 47 degrees outside. There's an election coming up. You've got the primary election in August. That is heating up on a number of levels. And then you've got the general election, which is going to be in November. One of the people that's going to be on the ballot is a longtime friend of mine and a friend of the program, Brad Schimmel, who is the attorney general of the state of Wisconsin. Um, now I got to give my disclosures here. I have known Brad, since he started out as an assistant district attorney in Waukesha County. I was a federal prosecutor at the time, and um, and he, he came up through the ranks as a state prosecutor. He was an assistant district attorney for a number of years. He was the Waukesha County district attorney for a number of years, and then successfully ran um, as the attorney general and was elected as attorney general of the state. Um, I think, in my opinion, he's done an outstanding job. You know, he's been... It, it's been a tough several years because he's been the guy that's really been at the point of the spear as as far as legally defending a number of the initiatives that, that were passed um, in the Republican Revolution after 2010. Because, you know, what we saw happen from the left is unable to win at the ballot box, that the reaction was, OK, we're going to try to block these various reforms you know Act ten, you name it, we're gonna to run to court. And we're we're going to fight these in court. And even though um these these laws are the expression of the elected representatives and we lost the election, but we're gonna to try to win in the courts. And of course, you know, Dane County where you have judges that are I think way, way, way to the left philosophically, given that the art is the law is an art, not a science um, way to the left of where the rest of the state is. It's been a you know, it's been a battle. And the truth of the matter is, Brad Schimmel has done an admirable job, admirable job by and large. He has won the cases that he has taken. Um, he's done a he and his office staff done a good job, I think, in my opinion, of presenting the legal arguments and framing these issues. And, and he has a huge track record of of success to f- doing what the attorney general is supposed to do, which is, again, represent the interests of the state of Wisconsin. And in this case, defend laws that are, in fact, constitutional that are enacted by, again, the legislative uh and the executive branch okay so um he is running for reelection, and he's being challenged by a, a guy named josh call who um, come back to wisconsin he's a very very liberal lawyer represents now a lot of the the lefty group's Who are out there trying to, you know, sue to overturn things. And, and he wants to be the, the attorney general. And so he's running as a platform, on a platform of essentially, you know, you elect me and I'm going to, I'm not going to defend the state. I'm going to oppose these things coming from the state senate and the legislate, the state assembly and the governor. I, I'm, I'm going to be that check instead of, okay, maybe, like, doing what your job should be, which is to, uh, again, defend the state, you know, when legal laws are properly enacted. But anyhow, there, there's been, they're kind of searching for issues to try to take on Brad Schimmel with, and, and one of them is the entire story of a voter ID. Voter ID, the shocking requirement that you should have to, Show a photo ID to prove who you are before you can cast a vote. Um, this, of course, enacted by the legislature, signed into law by the governor, and then successfully defended in the court system by the, the attorney general. The voter ID question is becoming an issue in this campaign. Now, it's no secret, and he's, he said this on my program. He said it on other programs as well. I mean, Brad Schimmel... You know, believes that, number one, voter ID is constitutional, but, number two, voter ID is something that leads to preserving the integrity of, of again, uh, elections. I mean, here's, you know, here's what he said on another radio station up the dial um, about voter ID. He said, we battled to get voter ID on the ballot for the November 16 election. How many listeners really honestly are sure that Senator Ron Johnson was going to win re-election or President Trump was going to win Wisconsin if we didn't have voter ID to keep Wisconsin's elections clean and honest and have integrity? All right? So we battled to get voter ID on the ballot for the November 16 election. How many of your listeners really honestly are sure that Senator Johnson was going to win re-election or that President Trump was going to win Wisconsin if we didn't have voter ID to keep Wisconsin's elections clean and honest and have integrity? All right, Gru, who is producing the show today and always. All right, you, he says, okay, you know, we needed voter ID to keep the elections clean and honest and have integrity, right? All right, that, that's what he says. Here is how his opponent is is now using this. Here's the story. Josh Call criticizes Attorney Brad Schimmel over voter ID comments. Um, Using those comments, Call says, it's an incredible admission on the part of our Attorney General, and it goes to show what's really behind these laws. With these comments, Call says, that Schimmel has admitted the law was designed to prevent people from voting. So Schimmel says, how many people are sure that Ron Johnson or President Trump was going to win Wisconsin if we didn't have voter ID to keep Wisconsin's elections clean and honest and have integrity? And the challenger is saying, this is shocking. It's Brad Schimmel saying that what's really behind these laws is an effort to keep people from voting. Hmm. Okay. 414-799-1620. That is the acunate mortgage talk and text line. I am having one of these. My head is ready to explode sort of issues because, again, I, I, I understand that you get no critical analysis of this from the mainstream media. I interpret Brad Schimmel's comments as being not being, gee, we need to pass these laws so we can stop people from voting. It's we need to pass these laws so we can stop people who are not entitled to vote from voting, and it is a big difference. Four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. Guess the flip side of this is really, I mean, is is this what at least this attorney general candidate stands for? That he doesn't want to keep Wisconsin's elections clean, honest and have any integrity. 4147991620 that's the academic mortgage talk and text line is there anything wrong with the voter ID law in which i think clearly it is one of its intents is to stop people who are not otherwise entitled to vote from voting is there any real problem with that 4147991620 candidly i don't see this i do not see the controversy here at all and I think I think voter ID is candidly it is a a small, small thing. I, I don't know if it's going to stop widespread voter fraud. I've always been kind of doubtful about that. But I don't think it is unreasonable, and I think the way it is worked out in practice is most people simply understand it's not that big a deal. You gotta get a photo ID to prove who you are just like you have to use a photo ID to do pretty much anything in the world today. All right, we discuss when we come back. If you're on the line, please hold on. Is this outrage? Is this, oh, this shows what the ultimate motivation of the Republicans were. It is incredible that we have voter ID because he says he thinks you need it to make Wisconsin elections clean and honest and have integrity. Oh, the horror. We discuss next. If you're on the line, please hold on. 216 Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 219, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ, Tyler in O'Connell. Hi, Tyler. How's it going, Jeff? Good. All right. Is, is this, this this huge issue? Oh, I mean, this is, oh, this is terrible. Brad Schimmel says voter ID is necessary to make sure we have a clean election. I, I don't see the scandal.
3: No, I think, it's, I think it's a crying shame that people don't believe that you don't need one. Uh, but on a twist of words, you should have a, you know, it is trying to keep people from not voting when it comes to dead people or illegal.
0: Yeah, right, or, or people from voting multiple occasions. Yeah, I mean, right, it is designed to protect the integrity of the process. Yeah, I- exactly. It's designed to keep vote people from voting who aren't legally entitled to vote. And what's it's, wrong with that?
3: Exactly. I mean, what adult does not have a state-issued ID? You need it all the time. You need it when you go travel. You need it when you go and buy your alcohol or tobacco. You need it when you open up a bank account. You yep. need it to cash a check. I mean, for people to say that they don't have a, an ID so they can't vote, well, then obviously they don't want to vote very badly and they need to get out of their parents' basement.
0: Yeah, right, right. Thanks for the call. Yeah. And and look, and there's so many exceptions to the law for that. I mean, look, I, I, I have said this before there may be that unicorn out there who who really cannot get that id So then, I think rather than spending this time whining about these voter ID laws, which again are, I think, completely and totally rational, what what people if they really cared, and this is what exposes the hypocrisy of the left, if people really cared about, all right, getting people to the polls, what you would do is instead of whining about the voter ID law, which makes complete and total sense, you would work on finding that unicorn, the one person who who doesn't have and can't get. the, the voter ID and helping them get it. I mean, that that should be the thing. Do the voter outreach stuff. Make sure that people have the voter the ID so they can not only, you know, vote but they can also, again, then participate in all these other avenues of society. Now, again, it's just mind boggling, I think, the approach. And, and the reality is I, I understand, for example, this voter ID issue continues to be red meat among some voters. But this is another example to me of how. I I think some people lose sight that the absolute hatred. We we hate Scott Walker. We hate Brad Schimmel. We hate those evil Republicans. And and it takes them to the extreme because I think if you say to the vast majority of people, and let's let's put aside let's put aside the politics for the minute, but you say to the vast majority of people, gee, if you show up and cast a ballot, shouldn't you have to prove who you are? And, And I think most people. Most fair minded people would say, Yeah, that's 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 just only reasonable. And if there are people that, you know, don't have these IDs, let's figure out a way to make sure we get them those IDs. That's where the discussion should be, as opposed to, oh, this is just terrible. And as far as Schimmel saying, gee, I, I think voter ID laws are important to keep Wisconsin's elections clean and honest and have integrity, well, all right, if you're running for attorney general, and you don't want to keep Wisconsin's elections clean, honest, and make sure they have integrity, you are fundamentally unqualified for the gig, period. 223 Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 225, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ, an off day for the Brewers as their long road trip finally comes to a close. The boys are back in town tomorrow evening against the division rival Pittsburgh Pirates. Hall of Famer Bob Uecker is back in the booth, and our Brewers coverage starts at 635. That is sponsored by Catholic Financial Life. Okay, so Groove, Fess Up, who's producing the show today and always. Next Thursday night, May 10th, Do you do you have plans? Do you know where you're going to be? You can admit it.
5: Well,
0: ah, you say you have nothing. Ah, uh, your lips say no, no. But here's the deal. Um, downtown strip club, Silk Exotic, to open after years of opposition. After, this is the way the Journal Sentinel reports it, after seven years of failed attempts and a one-year wait since its approval by the Common Council, Silk Exotic Strip Club will officially make its Milwaukee debut on Thursday, May 10th. The location of the club is 730 North Old World 3rd Street. That's between Wisconsin Avenue and Well Street, where Rusty's Old 50 Tavern used to sit. Half a block away from the shops of Grand Avenue, that don't really have any shops or too many shops anymore, per Silk Exotic's Facebook page. The doors will open for their Thursday debut at 7 p.m., and the party will go well into the next morning. So I guess that's it. Line up outside the doors at seven o'clock. Now, I I, I found this interesting because um, I do not patronize places like this. I obviously don't. You're never going to see me coming out of one of those places. And, and I actually, I, I have been in these places maybe, I don't know, a half dozen times, bachelor parties and stuff over the course of my lifetime. I, I don't. I, I don't remember the last time I was in a place like this, and that's the honest-to-God truth. I mean, believe me, with what I share with you on this on the radio, I, I would share that with you. But I, the last time, years and years and years ago, I was in Las Vegas with a couple friends, and one of my friends wanted to go into this place, um, downtown Las Vegas, place was called the girls of glitter gulch i don't know if it's still there or not but we did go in there and this was a long time ago and i i actually i find these places not to be erotic i find them to be sort of sad and depressing you know i just i, I mean I, I just i find the strip joints to be sad and depressing i mean i i think i i don't tell people how to make a living but I, I think it's kind of an unfortunate sort of a sad way for women to be making a living the guys that are in their bachelor parties or something notwithstanding but you know, you're 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 looking at women. It's just, it's just, and then you have the lonely people, and a lot of the dancers know how to exploit the lonely guys, and they come in night after night, and they end up spending a lot of money. And it's just, I find them to be sad and depressing, and I will leave it at that. But at the same time, I, I also understand that these businesses are are very very successful. There's been this, I have, and I have never quite understood. The huge fallout and the objections that the Milwaukee Common Council had that ended up costing them, you know, what, hundreds of thousands or million dollars in settlement. There are, and this might come as a shock to some members of Common Council, but there are strip clubs in, in Milwaukee. I mean, there are, and they have been there for years and years. There's what the arts performing center on Juneau. I think that's still there. I drive by that once in a while. You've got Ricky's on State. There's been there's places that are around there that have this sort of entertainment. It while it is not my cup of tea. I I just at the same time, you know, you need downtown activities, and if you're trying to get conventions and things like that, this is some of the type of entertainment that some of the conventioners choose to go into, and given the fact that, you know, the downtown area, especially around the shops on Grand Avenue, I mean, it's, I don't want to say a war zone, that's overstating it, but it's not exactly like you've got businesses that are falling all over themselves to come and locate in that area. I I have never understood why there's been the objection to putting a place right, you know, by the convention center so, you know, it can appeal to the the conventioneers that are there. I've never understood that. And people say it was going to have all these different types of problems. Well, okay, maybe that's why you put all sorts of restrictions on it. The the bottom line of this is this place is going to open. My prediction is that they're going to have fewer problems at this place, this silk exotic. Then they're going to ha- then they have at a number of other bars that are in the area, um, given some of the nature of the entertainments that some of those bars offer. So, I- will this be a huge success? I don't exactly know what the demand is going to be, but do I think it is going to be the end of the world opening up there? It's not going to be the end of the world either. And after this big opening soirée or whatever, I don't think you're going to hear too much about this place otherwise, except for. You know, if you're reading some of the underground newspapers or the free newspapers that you pick up while you're waiting for your coffee, you'll undoubtedly see some ads for it. And other than that, probably not much. It's 235, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. I really am very glad to have you with us. Hey, check out WTMJ.com. A lot of great stuff up on the website. Our uh, interactive folks do a great job. When you're there, check out the podcast page. Um, You can download Wayne Larravee's Packer Podcast. we got the podcast of the various shows. I know, because I see the numbers, lots and lots of people download this podcast and you get notified when there's new ones that are put up. And I know a lot of people listen to the show, not necessarily in real time, but later on, but that's okay. That's okay, because I, I will get emails sometime in the middle of the night from people, and I think it's because they're, I don't know, they're listening to the podcast of the show. Um, So take me, uh, noon to three is great, but if you can't do that, all right, you know, Midnight to 3 a.m., that works too, and people are sharing all sorts of thoughts. Hey, the stock market was down big early on. It was ugly. It was down like over – the Dow was down over 300 points. Um, now it's come all the way back, and it, it's up actually up by two points. Looks like – and we've got a half hour before close. I mean, looks like it's going to be small either gain or small loss, but uh, wherever that is, it's come back a lot, which is a good thing. Okay, you may disagree with me on this, and, and I fully understand that. It's – we have talked about this before in different contexts, but it's that we get further and further away from what I think is the, the whole notion of accountability. Now, first of all, let me put stuff in perspective. I, I don't know about you, Grooves, producing the show, but I I rarely eat lunch nowadays. I mean, I, I'm kind of down to like two meals. I, I eat breakfast in the morning, and then I eat something for dinner. Even when I was younger, when I was in high school, well, I I, I didn't eat lunch that often. Typically what would happen is my mom or then sometimes me you know i'd make a sandwich i'd take a bag lunch it was a sandwich with some potato chips and we'd sit i went to Nickelodeon high school and we'd sit in the the basement they called it the night Skeller with my buddies and i'd have a soda and i'd eat my sandwich and I'd have my potato chips we'd play cards that that's what we used to that's what we used to do not very exciting but that that's how we would spend it but that that was it lunch was almost always a a cold sandwich ham and cheese Whatever turkey and cheese, whatever that that was that was kind of lunch. If, if I ate the lunch, all right. Well, I, so this idea that oh my gosh, if somebody in school. Doesn't get a lunch. This is just terrible. Their day is going to be ruined. They can't. Con- I don't buy that. I I, I just don't buy that because my guess is a lot of these kids, you know, when they're at home, like during the summer or whatever, they're they're out playing. They're not necessarily eating lunch anyhow. Now I bring this up because it's a story out of Massachusetts, but it's a familiar sort of story. There is there's this school, and they're having problems because the the way it works is they have you can bring your lunch to school or you can have the hot lunch that the school offers, right? The hot lunch, you have to pay for it. I mean, there's some kids that get it for free, all right, because, you know, they, they qualify under the federal income limits. But the other kids qualify, some qualify for a reduced price lunch and others, you know, have to pay for it, all right? But you, you got to pay for it. There is no free lunch, all right? So what's happened is this one particular school, in the story I'm looking at, they're they're losing money. They estimate that they're losing about $30,000 in unpaid-for school lunch charges. That would be kids that show up that don't qualify for the free lunches, um, who don't have money in their accounts. That's the deal. The parents are supposed to put money in their account. Parents don't put the money in the account. In many cases, the schools contact the parents, the parents blow it off, all right? It's not a priority, whatever, and so the kids keep getting more and more lunches, and the school keeps falling farther and farther behind. The schools aren't collection agencies, right right? They're, they're not geared to do this. They're not geared to, I mean, there's not somebody on staff that's going to act like the collection agent that's going to make all the Dunning phone calls. So what this one particular school has done, and I'm looking at one of the story, is that um, – You know, they will say to the kids that, you know, if you don't have the money to pay for this, if you are in the arrears, you know, you're not going to get the lunch. They're, They're not going to give it to you. Just like if you were to go into, I don't know, the burger doodle across the street from the school and order, you know, a hamburger or a whatever, you know, you order a Whopper and French fries and a large Diet Coke, and then they give it to you, they put the plate out there, and they say, okay, that's going to be six bucks or whatever, and you say, I don't have any money, they're not going to give you that food. They're just not. They're going to say, well, I'm sorry, you can't have that. But so what the school has been doing is they've been saying, you don't have the money for this, and and no, you know, you you can't have it. So the story I'm looking at is this one kid says, well, you know, yeah, I, I didn't have the money in my account, but I showed up. I, I had I ordered all the food. I had the plate. I get to the cashier. They say, I give them my number. I give them my card. They say there's no money in the account. And the kid says, I, I, they, they took the food away. They, they didn't give me the food. I get so, this is what they, uh, and then the father says, I get so frustrated when he has nothing to eat. He's hungry and can't pay attention in school. And so these parents, you know, start complaining. School board member says, we are putting these kids under terrible stress from the fear of um, not being able to pay for lunch. Plus, they're hungry and they can't function. So we have to do something tonight about this. And so the school board is saying, and the one I'm sorry, I'm looking at saying, okay, well, we're just going to continue to, we don't, we're not going to care if the people have money in their accounts or not. We don't want to lunch shame them. We're going to continue to give them food. 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. And again, I admit this is one of these stories, and maybe you disagree with me on it because, well, I mean, children shouldn't be hungry. But this makes my head explode. All right? I mean, first of all, mom or dad, you know, your job, one of your responsibilities, if lunch is this big a deal, one of your responsibilities is to either send your kid to the damn school with a lunch or make sure there's money in the kid's account so the kid can buy the lunch. I mean, these school lunch programs, these they're not credit agencies. That money that goes to come up with a lunch, that's got to be paid for by the taxpayers. And like I say, in this school district, they estimate $30,000 in arrears on school lunches because the parents... I mean, are, are in general, they're just too lazy to pay attention and put money into these kids' accounts because we're talking about kids that don't qualify for the free federal stuff. So now the response is, oh, my well, gosh, well, we got to give kids food. And, it's, and in many school districts, what they do is they say, okay, well, you can't have the full lunch, but we'll give you a cheese sandwich or something. And the response is, oh, we can't do that because we're lunch shaming them. These kids are just going to have a cheese sandwich. Well, I- I'll tell you. Cheese sandwich would taste pretty darn good right now. I haven't had lunch. 414-799-1620. That is the acunate mortgage talk and text line. I mean, is it really the responsibility of the schools nowadays to give free lunches to kids who have the ability to pay? 414-799-1620. My sense is that, you know, after the kid doesn't get the lunch, That should be the motivating factor of mom and dad to make sure there's money in the account or, heaven forbid, send the kid to school with a sandwich. 414-799-1620. Let's start with Dave in Waukesha. Dave, you're on WTMJ. Hello.
3: Hey, Jeff. How are you doing? Real well, thanks. I I mean, I I agree with you 100%. I mean, the the whole thing's really just gotten out of control. In fact, the, the fact that we're, you know, obliged to provide breakfast, lunch, and then practically daycare with schools has gotten ridiculous and you know it's it's one of these things where especially the ones that have money there's no excuse for that it's just poor parenting but the ones that say qualify for free lunch or free breakfast or whatnot what chances are they qualify for food stamps why can't the parents show enough responsibility to allocate money to be able to feed their kids you i mean will. at some point i mean
5: yeah, and, and see,
0: and, and they're not pleading poverty. That, that's the thing. They're not pleading poverty. They don't have the money to do it. It's just mom and dad are 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 either too lazy or inattentive to do this, and so then it becomes the school's problem. And I just don't think it's and, and then it becomes the taxpayers' problem. And I mean, oh, yeah, I, exactly. I
3: mean, if I don't make the car payment, the taxpayers aren't going to pick that up. Right. <laughs> yeah.
0: Right. Well, exactly. Or let's use the other example. I mean, I mean, again, if if you walk into that restaurant at that fast food restaurant and you order lunch and then they give you the bill and you don't have the money to pay for it, they're taking that food back. I mean really is it this is but but because it's a because it's a school, you're not allowed to do that? Give me a break.
3: Well I mean like I said, where does it end? Where's the end point?
0: Well it, it, exactly thanks to call because now I mean now once you do this and see in some school districts have have now they're they're so obsessed about the idea of lunch shaming um that, that now if they're offering free lunches to some, they've simply decided we're gonna offer free lunches to everybody. We're gonna give everybody a free lunch. Doesn't matter, you know, your dad and mom are doctors, you're pulling in, they're pulling in more than a million bucks a year. Oh, you senior citizens on a fixed income that are paying property taxes, you're gonna help underwrite the lunches of those kids. Give me a break. We continue the conversation. If you're on the line, please hold on, it's two forty five. Forty-nine, Jeff Wacker, WTMJ. Here's a text. I have a friend in a district with these cards. She sends her daughter to lunch with. She sends her daughter to school with a lunch every day. Uh, the daughter prefers the hot lunch, so she throws away the bag lunch and takes the hot lunch, building up a bill from the school for her parents. The school won't stop her from doing this. How is this okay? Even though the mother and father are apparently telling the school, "Don't give her the hot lunch. We send her with a bag lunch. We want her eating that." Let's talk to Chris in Milwaukee. Hi, Chris. You're on WTMJ.
2: Hey, Jeff. How's it going?
0: I'm well, thank uh, you.
2: I have a quick story and then a possible solution I'd like to get your opinion on. Um, it's actually funny you guys are bringing this up because it just happened to me like last week. Uh, my son had a hot lunch uh, card that we put money on. Uh, he was 40 cents short, I believe, one of the times for his lunch. Right. Uh, the, the school gave him the food, which was very nice of him, and they sent the letter home knowing that, letting us know that we were low on funds. So. Right. We just recharge the card, put more money on it. I think it's the parents' responsibility to have to take care of that. I think maybe if it happens once or twice, then maybe there can be a little bit of a leeway. Mm-hmm. But I have a possible solution that I like your opinion on. If if it does happen and these kids are eating the lunches and they're not having the funds to pay for them, have like a, a, a charging of um, like keeping a record of how much that they use. And at the end of the year, the parents either have to pay for it or the child doesn't graduate into the next year of class
0: yeah the pro, i mean some schools do that, or like at high schools, they'll withhold a diploma, and that always becomes a, an issue with it um i, I get you know or they'll withhold transcripts and then it becomes an issue you know is that fair i, I guess i just I just think it's simpler, Chris, to say pay as you go. Now, look, and I'm not saying—I mean, forty cents clearly give him give him the lunch, sure, you know. what I mean, so right, I'm, yeah. I, but I'm talking about. You see, if it was me, you, you give him a little bit of leeway. You notify the parents, and, and but once you get ten bucks in the hole or something, you say, okay, look, there, there's no more free lunch. No,
2: you know. You I know. Agree. Yeah,
0: and and, and But let me ask you. Okay, so you get this sure. note. You're, you're low. What your first reaction is? We we let's let's put money in the card. We recharge it, right? You're responsible. You do it right away, right? Right
2: thing i do we go on it's very simple they have a, a website you can go on for the school you you can put your credit card debit card yeah charge the card up and it's, it's one two three it's not like it's really that much of a headache
0: yeah exactly no thanks and see and that's how and, and you know i i think what happens in, in the majority of cases the, the way you get the payment is to do exactly that it, it's sort of like i'm going to use an analogy it's not a perfect analogy but it's close it, it's like we energies, you know, we've talked about the energy moratorium. November first rolls around, and then by law, you know, the utility company can't shut off gas and electric to to plate people until April. So what happens is you have some people, not everyone, but some people who know, okay, I, I, I there's nothing going to happen to me. I, I don't have to even try to make my energy payments. What I'm going to do is I'm going to pay other stuff. If I don't pay my phone bill, they're going to shut off my phone. Well, I don't want that. Or I'm going to, if I don't pay my cable TV bill, they're going to shut off my cable TV or that. So, I mean, I'm just going to, I'm going to, I'm going to put the utility thing away and I'll worry about it later. And then people end up like six months in arrears and it's really tough to kind of dig out. Then it becomes this huge problem. I, I think. This, it's on a smaller scale, this is the same sort of thing. Most parents are going to do precisely what Chris said. Hey, I mean, look, I, I understand nobody's perfect. You get distracted. You know, the, the card runs down. You immediately get a notice. School says, hey, the 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 kid's in arrears or whatever. And then you put another 20 bucks or 50 bucks or whatever you put on, on that card and you do it. That's the way you get parents to say, okay, I'm going to put the money there because I don't want my kid to go through it. Instead of the school's having to be a giant collection agency which is what you know they end up being now in the school district i'm looking at massachusetts like i say they estimate $30,000 in unpaid lunches. And you might say, well, in the scheme of things, you know, what what's the big deal? Well, okay, that $30,000 has got to come from somewhere. It it does. And that means it's got to come from the taxpayers and the analogy I was using earlier. So, you know, you've got the senior citizens who are paying their property taxes. They're on fixed incomes. Well, if if they go... If they go to McDonald's or they show up at Sendex or Pick and Save or Metro Market or whatever and they, you know, get the stuff for their lunch and they show up at the cashier and they don't have the money to pay for it, uh, Mr. Pick and Save or Mr. You know, Sendex or Mr. Metro Market, they're not giving them the food to go home with. So why should we do something different? And as far as this, well, my kid can't concentrate if he doesn't get his lunch. Oh, okay. And, you know, seriously. I mean, I, I look, I understand. Do I think three healthy, well-balanced meals is a good thing? Yeah, a- absolutely. But if you look at all the waste that goes on in school lunchrooms to begin with, I mean, even the kids that are getting the lunch, if they don't like it, they're not eating it, and somehow they're able to survive. It's 2.54. When we come back, we're going to find out what John McCure, Melissa Barkley, and Greg Matsik have on their minds. Please stick around. This is Jeff Wagner.